we are starting a new sermon series uh, today. And as you will see as we go along between now and the end of November, we will be in these parables of Jesus. And then in December, as I mentioned earlier, the 3rd of December begins Advent. Um, I didn't say Lent. I have a problem with that. I always say Lent before Advent, but it's not the way it works. So Advent starts in December, and um, we will do some Advent stuff during the month of December. And then after the first Sunday of January, we will pick back up into uh, these uh, parables. And the way that I'm going to preach this is I'm going to try to do it in chronological order. In other words, the order that Jesus preached them in his three years, a little over three years of ministry. And, um, and so we will be jumping from book to book. If you look at the Wednesday connection, and you'll see a little uh, square there, there that says uh, sermon, scripture, and title for this week. And so you, uh, some of you I know have told me that you read ahead of time those passages uh, to prepare your heart for worship. And so you will see different books of the gospel, four gospels that are mentioned there. Now, we are going to, and if you want to go ahead and turn there, I'll get there in a few minutes. Uh, don't flip the slide yet, Bill. Um, we're going to be looking at Luke 7. But you might say, well, well, wait a minute. Didn't you just say you're going to preach these in chronological order? And I said, yes, that's, that would be the right answer. But if you were to back up a little in Luke's gospel, uh, in Jesus's ministry, you would actually find two more parables that I'm not going to preach on. And the reason that I'm not going to preach on those par parables is I've already preached on them. Those parables are also found in the Sermon on the Mount. And so that one that's in chapter 5 is about fasting, and Jesus gives a parable about fasting. And then in chapter 6, Jesus has a parable about criticizing and judging others, and I have preached on that also. And so we're going to pick up with the first parable after those two, which would be the next in line chronologically, which is the parable of the two debtors. It's found in chapter 7 of Luke's gospel. But before we get to the passage, I want to ask uh, just a, a couple of questions. How do you view yourself? In other words, when it comes to weighting sin, how do you weight sin? Give you an example not talking about you. I don't think any of you have killed anyone. I, I don't think so. But do you view someone that has killed someone committing a greater sin than someone that has robbed a pack of toothpaste from the local pharmacy? Now, in our society, we have means of criminal action and action against those consequences for those actions. And it is the way that it's done is that we judge differently or punishment is issued out to fit the crime. So someone that stole a tube of toothpaste from the pharmacy is not going to get the death sentence, I don't think, in our society but someone that murders someone may. You see the difference? Society 
lays out those consequences for the actions depending on how you or what you did in breaking that law. You have heard me say many times before, if you have been around me or heard me preach uh, over these last uh, soon be 16 years, that um, God does not coexist with sin. He does not coexist with sin. He is perfect. He is holy. He is righteous. And so sin is not going to be a part of who God is. Fortunately for us, God understands we are fallen, that we are not righteous, except for the fact that he sent his son to die for our sins, to take our sins upon himself, so that in the eyes of the Father, he sees us as righteous if we have truly repented of our sins. And so often we put that plural there, sins, in God's eyes, it's just sin. And maybe you'll see what I mean as we go along because you see all sin or sins in God's eye is sin. Thanks be to God for Jesus who loved us enough to forgive us enough that we are righteous and holy in God's eyes. And because of his love for us, we are also called to love one another. If you have your Bibles, turn to Luke 7. And I'm going to read the parable, but I won't just keep your finger there or keep your Bible open because we're going to look at the scripture around this parable this morning because the parable probably would not make sense if you have never read 36 through 50 in its entirety. You might think, what in the world is Jesus saying? So, verses 40 through 43. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he replied, say it, teacher. A moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they were unable to repay, he graciously forgave them both. So which one of them will love him more? Simon answered and said, I suppose the one whom he forgave more. And he said to him, you have judged correctly. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. For you are our strength and our redeemer. And Father, I pray this morning that you would illuminate all of our hearts by the power of your Holy Spirit to hear what you have to say to us through this, your holy word. We pray this in your name. Amen. I am always amazed as I read scripture and as, it's, as I look at the stories of Jesus uh, depicted by the four gospel writers, I am always amazed to see that sinners and tax collectors 
and murderers and thieves and prostitutes and all alike seek him out. They, they seek after him. They come to him. And we find in so many cases that they fall in love with him. They love Jesus. In many cases, they surrender to Jesus. Their appeal for sin is no longer there. They have come into the presence of the living God in Jesus, the one incarnate, God incarnate. They come into his presence and they feel something. They receive something from him. And they no longer are held captive to sin. They no longer see that sin is a viable life for them. Does that mean that they never sin again? No. But it means that because of the relationship, because of how Jesus sees them, because of their interaction with the one who died for them, they're different. The scripture says that they have been transformed in the likeness of Christ. And if you are sitting here this morning or you are watching us online and you have given your life to Jesus Christ, then Christ is not only in you, but you have been transformed into his likeness. And so we look at this passage, and as I said, it would not make sense if you did not go back and look at the verses around it. There are three individuals in, in this particular story where Jesus gives this parable of the two debtors. Jesus, Simon, and then an unnamed prostitute. And, and though Jesus and Simon are actually revealing two different ways to approach this woman who is sinful... That is not the main point of this particular passage. The point of the passage is, is not to see how to minister to those that are sinners. It is actually to realize you're a sinner. So stay with me. That may make you feel a little uncomfortable. I don't know. But the passage is to see ourselves as sinners. So let's look at this, and, and I want to do this in kind of five movements of this passage. And so the very first one is that there's supper with sinners. The verse 36 through 38. Then one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down and ate to eat. And behold, a woman in the city, and here you go, who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus had sat at the, the table of the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him weeping, and she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with her hair of her head, and she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, Jesus had been in Capernaum. 
He'd been in around the Sea of Galilee as he had ministered and called his disciples. And he is now gone to uh, Nain and he has raised the widow's son. And he had grown in popularity throughout the Galilean region. People were coming after him, seeking him, trying to find him from his miracles that they had heard about. You know, it, it probably got a little news. I don't know if it's on the radio or not, but, you know, when you raise somebody from the dead, uh, even if you were to say, you know, let's just keep this quiet, it's probably not going to happen. And so he had gained a lot of press when it came out as far as his popularity around the Galilean region. And one of the religious leaders, Simon, was interested in him in some way. We don't know Simon's motive, but we do know that this Pharisee invited him to his house for dinner. Maybe it was to catch him in some kind of blasphemy or lie. I don't know. The scripture doesn't say. It just says that he invited him to the house and Jesus accepted this invitation. Now, it was not uncommon of the time for uh, guests that were not invited, officially invited for the meal to show up for the dinner. They would often hold the dinners in either a large room or out in a courtyard area so that others could come in and actually be entertained in some way. Yeah, they didn't have TV. They couldn't turn it on or the radio on and, and, and do anything. They didn't have their handy-dandy Apple. Uh, that only came a few days later after this happened is when the first iPhone was, was uh, developed. And so uh, they just could not do that. But they, were they would come in for entertainment, but not only that, for information. So anytime someone of status would have a dinner in their house and they would hear about it, it was not uncommon for those to come in and sit around and listen to what was going on. Often those religious leaders or high-status people, they would help educate those that maybe had no education those that were interested in what was going on theologically within the Jewish faith often would come and listen in through the window or a courtyard or even in the house. And these religious leaders and some of the other leaders found it as a, um, a time when they could actually show off. Let me tell you how wise and how much knowledge I have, and I'm going to share it with you. And so often they did not, even though they were not feeding them or the people that came were not being fed, they allowed them to come in because they were able to kind of boast their knowledge, their intellect and wisdom um, to those that gathered around. And this particular parable was no different, this event that took place at Simon's house. And so Simon had invited Jesus, and he had come in, and Simon had not attended to Jesus. And so this woman comes in, and we're told that she has a fragrant fragrant oil, alabaster flask with fragrant oil, and that she is weeping and she is washing his feet 
with her tears, that she is wiping them with her hair, and she's actually kissing his feet and anointing them with this fragrant oil. Now, if you, you think about it, we, we've already been told that she's a sinner, that she's a prostitute, and that she has come into Simon's house. And, you know, as she came in, was it to looks? Was it to harsh stares? I mean, my guess is, just a guess, that Simon was not the only one in the room that knew that this unnamed lady was a prostitute. What is she doing here? Why is she touching the master? If you put yourself in the woman's shoes, you wonder how in the world she could even approach him or come into the room or touch him. But here again, sinners and alike were attracted to this man called Jesus. The scripture tells us that she is crying. And if you were to go to the Greek word that's used here, kaleo, it means to sob. And so she was not just shedding tears, just crying tears down her face. She was actually wailing. That's what the Greek word means here is to wail. She was crying out loud in front of everyone is, that's there. And, you know, someone you would have thought maybe would have said, hey, woman, be quiet. Stop your wailing. But here she is caring for Jesus as Jesus reclined on the floor. And as you know, there was no tables and chairs around tables like we have in the back in the fellowship area. They would recline on the floor, often setting their feet to the side or behind them as they sat. And so Jesus' feet was dusty from the road. She recognizes the insult that was given to him because as he entered the house, no one, not even Simon, cared for him. And this was Simon's house. This was Simon's responsibility to care for his guest. And Jesus, that ultimate guest of his, he did not care for. Something else is happening here that is interesting from the woman's perspective as we look and see what she is doing. She is anointing his feet with oil from a flask, a perfume, and she is drying them with her hair. These are tools of her trade. This is what she would have used as a prostitute. Proverbs 7, 16 and 17 reads this way, that such oils and perfumes to adorn herself and her bed, this is what a prostitute would use, as we're told in the Proverbs. And this is what she is doing, but she is not doing it out of a sexual content, out of her past, she is actually worshiping God with the tools of her trade. I want you to think about that for a minute. 
when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, so many times we think, okay, I've got to lay this aside and I can't use this gift or this talent that I've used secularly. I've just got to set that aside. I can no longer use it to worship and glorify God. No. Secular musicians have come to faith and used their gifts and talents to glorify God. There are those who have been harsh and sinful in their life and lived a, literally a, a life of ill repute and come to faith and begin to use their past to minister those in the present. Um, some of you have heard me say that in my first church, I had a uh, man, his name was John, and John was a, a hell's angel. And, um, I mean, he was tattooed up, and he was, I mean, he was this gruff, burly guy. I mean, if you were to see John in a uh, alley, uh, you would think, mm-hmm, yeah. And so, but John, man, he loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. In fact, he would preach for me when I had to be away. And John suddenly died. And his wife, as we were planning and doing the, the visitation in Hillsborough, North Carolina. She said, look, I've gotten word from the Hell's Angels. They're coming to the wake. And I said, okay, it's no problem. Let them come. And so the wake was at 7 o'clock. And about 6.30, you heard the rumbling of motorcycle engines uh, coming into Hillsborough downtown. And I went out front and stood on the sidewalk, and the first guy off was the leader of the Hells Angels. And I shook his hand, and he said, I introduced myself, and he said, Pastor, I just want you to know it's not going to be any problems. We just came for respect for John and his family. Because you see, he said, John was a part of us, but when he came to know Jesus Christ, he began to minister to us. And we listened to him because we knew him and knew who he was. You see, when you, when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean that you necessarily do away with that, but use it for God's glory. Whatever you're doing and wherever you're planted, where God is using you for his purpose, use those gifts and talents for the purpose of God. And this is what this woman is doing. All she knows is I've got a flask and I want to come see this man. And I've heard about this man and now she's in his presence and she's using her tools of her past to minister and worship God. Nevertheless, when you do that, some people will complain or criticize you. That's okay. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep your eyes on Christ. Listen at what happens. And so you go to verse 39, and you, you have this response. Simon says, did you ever on the playground play Simon says? Uh, Simon says. Yeah, we used to play that. Godway Elementary. Um, 
look at what it says. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him, him being Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who and what sort of person this woman is who is touching him, that she is a sinner, that she is a sinner. Simon knew what kind of woman this woman was. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because if for a fact, and she's identified in Scripture, there's no reason to not think of what the Scripture says about her. She was a sinner, she was a prostitute, and she came into Simon's house. And if Simon knew this, others probably knew this, but why did he not call her out? Because you see, the law says that adulterers and fornicators and prostitutes are to be punished by death. You remember John 8, right? When the prostitute, uh, the adulterer is, is there and they're fixing to stone her and Jesus comes up and he begins to write in the sand and those of you without, you know, cast, without sin cast the first stone and what happens is they, they walk away. And so... Simon does not denounce her sin publicly. Maybe he should have said, hey, everybody, this woman needs to leave. She's a prostitute. In fact, let's just go out and stone her because that's what the scripture, that's what the, the, the God's word tells us to do, the law. But he didn't, and the scripture doesn't tell us why. I mean, we could maybe think that he didn't do that. Maybe he was thinking of or heard Jesus had that prior parable that's in you know, Luke 6 where it's you know, take the speck out of your eye before you try to take it out of the brother's eye. Maybe that's what Simon was thinking. I don't know. But it's certainly what we should think as we criticize others is taking that sin out of ourself before we start to point at the sin of others. Whatever Simon felt about this woman, he had allowed her in his home, and she was touching Jesus, and what he sees as she's touching him is, man, if Jesus just knew, if Jesus just knew who this was, he would not. I mean, he says People are saying he's a prophet. What is interesting is this. Jesus reveals exactly what kind of prophet that he is. Not only does he know what kind of woman is touching him, what kind of woman is worshiping at his feet, but he knows Simon's thoughts. He knows what Simon is thinking. I don't have to preach hard on that. <laughs> Folks, you're not going to hide anything from God. I don't care how buried deep you think it is in your soul or your mind. You're not going to hide anything from our Lord. He knows it all, so you might as well just confess it and own up to it. And know that his blood has covered it. Thanks be to God. 
And so Jesus understands what's before him and what is going on. And he tells this parable. And here's where the parable comes into play. The parable of Jesus, 40 through 43, there's these two debtors that Jesus mentions. One owns five, owes 500 denarii, the other owes 50. And it says that they neither one had anything that they had to repay. So the person that they owed this money forgave both of them. Now, the average wage of the time was a denarii a day. So when you think about the person that owed 50 denarii, they owed about, not quite, but almost two months' worth of wages, where the other person owed almost two years' worth of wages with the 500, so 10 times larger the amount. The issue here is not the amount. The issue is neither one of them could pay that debt. Neither one of them had money to pay the debt. And Jesus says the creditor forgave them both. Now, it's obvious in the story that, that Jesus is the creditor here in the parable. And as we will see, Simon and the unnamed woman make up the other two persons. And so the, the woman, great sin, a prostitute living, you know, outside the realm of morality. And then you have Simon. He is a Pharisee, a religious leader, and he probably thinks pretty good of himself. I'm a good person. You, you know those people. I'm a good person. You know, there may be some little sins that I commit every now and then, but by and large, I'm good. But honestly, if the debt is too big to pay, whether repay, whether you're small or large in Jesus' parable, then neither one can do anything about it, right? If you don't have the money to pay the 50 or the 500, you don't have the money. So you're still in debt to the person that holds the debt. Maybe, you know, health. Maybe you lost your job. Maybe there's a situation where you can't pay. In Jesus' time, there was no bankruptcy laws. Uh, you were held accountable unless your debt was forgiven. And in this case, they were in debt, regardless of the amount. And then you think about, okay, what does the Scripture say about this? And James 2.10 reminds us this. That if we keep the whole law, yet stumble on just one point of the law, then you have broken the whole law. James reminds us of that. We are guilty of all of it. Simon doesn't realize it, but he is just as guilty as the woman at Jesus' feet who came into his 
house as a prostitute. And the point of the parable is to own up to your own sin. Because whatever your sin is, there's nothing except turning it over to Jesus that can repay it. Jesus is the creditor. Christ's attitude is so interesting here. Because you look at Simon, and Simon says, Jesus says, tell me therefore which one would love him more. And Simon says, oh, I suppose the one that he forgave more. And Jesus says, you've judged rightly. And so Christ's attitude towards sin is interesting here because while he does not want us to sin, he wants us to sin less and less and less. In the parable, he wants us to own up to our sin. To, in other words, to acknowledge our sin. To acknowledge that he, the creditor, his blood is the only thing that can cover our sin. So this next point I served up as serving up sin. In other words, we acknowledge our sin before Christ. Look what verse 44 through 47 says. Turning to the woman, he said to Simon. He's not talking to the woman. Get this, he's talking to Simon. Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but she, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she anointed my feet with perfume. For this reason I say to you, talking to Simon, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven. She loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. Jesus told this parable, and you've got 50 denarii and 500 denarii, and he asked Simon, and Simon says, well, I guess the one that, you know, will love him is the one that was forgiven more. And Jesus' point is, it doesn't matter the size of the debt, you're still a debtor. Everyone is a big debtor because we can't take care of our own sin. Everybody has an infinite, unpayable debt of sin to God, and it is only because of Christ. It's only because of Christ that we are forgiven. So many times we think, oh, I'm a good person, or we hear someone say, you know, I'm a good person, and because I'm a good person, I'm going to heaven. Do you know Jesus? I don't know Jesus. I don't have to surrender my life to Jesus, but I'm a good person, and the scripture tells us We've got to know Jesus. We have to surrender our life to Jesus. 
And Simon neglected Jesus by insulting him. Had the woman sinned? Absolutely. Her sin was one of obvious sin. Everyone there knew it, and so her sins were one of commission. But Simon had also sinned, and his was omission. He had failed to carry out anything. He was prideful. He showed self-satisfaction. And in essence, many would say, I would say, his sin might be more deadly than the woman's sin because it was a sin of the spirit and not necessarily of the flesh. So what is the difference in the big dead and the little? The only difference is the awareness of the sin. Is your awareness of your sin, Jesus is teaching. They both are debtors. They both had sin. And it is when they come and acknowledge Jesus. Verse 47, listen to that. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to her, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And so maybe the question would be, which comes first, love or forgiveness? What do you think? Which comes first, love or forgiveness? In other words, do you love because you have been forgiven or are you forgiven because you have loved? The answer is in verse 47 and the answer is both. The answer is that we are to love and forgive. It's a circle. So, what does Jesus say in this passage as we are coming to the end of this? And he says, she loved and she had faith. And we're going to talk about faith just a little bit in a second. But this circle, much love, the, the more you come to love Jesus, the more that you are going to want to offer whatever sin may come into your life to Jesus. And so forgiveness is going to be in play. And because you are forgiven, you're going to love. And because you love more, if you sin, you're going to realize that you need to be forgiven. If you remember the Apostle Paul, as he began his ministry in 1 Corinthians 15, 9, he says that he is the least of all the apostles. So there were 12 apostles that initially led the, the planting of the church. And Paul says, wait, I'm the least of these apostles. Later in his ministry, in Ephesians 3, he says, I'm the least of all the saints. That's, that's a different sentence there. I'm the least of all the apostles. And now he's been ministering for years and he says, I'm the least of all the saints. And then we get the first Timothy, the first chapter. And here is what Paul says. 
when his love for Jesus was greater than it had ever been in all of his life, he looked back at his life and he says, I'm the chief of all sinners. Think about that. At the end of his ministry, he loves Christ more than he ever has. He's planted churches. He's seen people come to Christ. He has seen miracles happen. And here at the end of his ministry, as he's challenging his brother Timothy in the faith, I'm the chief of all sinners. And you remember Romans as we went through. Man, I want to do what's right, but I do the very thing I know that's not right because, I don't know, it's this sin and I have this sin nature. And, but I love Jesus and Paul was in that circle that we are in we love Jesus, and the more we love Jesus, the more we realize that we have been forgiven of our sin. Somebody say amen. amen. The closer you get to Jesus, the more you're going to realize the presence of the one that you are in and the presence of him in you. Many people... Simon did it in this text. Many people try to look at others and they criticize them for the way they are living their life and they never turn and look. Oh, I'm a good person. I know God's got me. I'm okay. But are we? So the last point, and we'll pray. From sinner to saint... Look at verse 48 through 50. Then he said to her, so the, we were talking, he was talking to Simon. Now look what happens. So Jesus turns to the woman. He says to her, your sins are forgiven. And then he says, then the, the passage says, those who were reclining at the table with him began to say to themselves, who is this man who even forgives sins? And Jesus says to the woman, verse 50, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Notice that it was not her love that saved her. It was her faith in Jesus that saved her. And because she came to faith in Jesus, not only did Jesus forgive her of her sins, he loved her, and she in turn had expressed her love to him. Jesus pronounces her forgiven. It's interesting that those in the room look at Jesus and they focus on who is this man that forgives sins? Well, Jesus actually shows and answers that question when Simon said, you know, he thinks he's a prophet. Well, actually, yeah, uh, Jesus answers the question. Yes, uh, I'm a prophet. I'm much more than even a prophet. I'm God. And, and I'm the one that can forgive sins. And, and those who come to me as a sinner in the flesh, I can transform into a saint. I can take you from sinner 
to saint. Thank you, Jesus. This woman found rest that day. Simon did not. Simon did not. The woman's debt, Simon's debt, you could look at it as the same Jesus did. What Jesus was calling us to do is to look at ourselves, to confess our own sin, to weep and wail if we needed to before him because we are broken. We are broken and we are in need of Jesus in our life. And Jesus, who is the only one that forgives sins, the only one who has the blood that can cover our sin, is the only one that can come to me and you and say, your sin is forgiven. Now go in peace and do likewise. Father, may it be so that we recognize any sin that we may have that we have not surrendered to you. Or, Father, that as we sin, and we will, that as we recognize that, as you convict us, we pour it out towards you and to you. Knowing that, Father, your Son, because of what he has done, has already forgiven us. Because of our faith in him. May we live into that circle of forgiveness and love. Let us love more. Let us love you more. Let us love each other more. Let us love sinners more. Not condoning sin, but loving them. Let us speak that truth in love, Father. Thank you, Father, thank you so much for calling us to yourself and adopting us into your family and calling us sons and daughters. Thank you. We pray this in your name. Amen.